Welcome to An Amber A Day, the podcast all about functional nutrition for PCOS. I'm Amber Fisher, a certified nutrition specialist and licensed dietitian nutritionist, and I have training in functional medicine. I also have PCOS, and on this podcast, we discuss PCOS in depth, the nutrition strategies for it, as well as the realities of living with it and making this lifestyle work. For further guidance and meal plan support, you can check out the show notes for links to my PCOS courses and programs. And if this podcast helps you, please do me a favor and leave me a review. Thank you so much for being here. Let's get into today's episode. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back. You're listening to an Amber Day, the functional nutrition podcast. And I'm Amber Fisher coming at you here from my home in San Antonio, Texas. So, um, first of all, I just want to say thank you, all of you who have picked back up to listening to me. I know that I had taken a long break, and so I'm really grateful for all my loyal friends and fans who keep up with me and keep me, spurring me on to do this. I really like, uh, as you can tell, I love talking. Um, so I enjoy a platform to be able to talk about things that I'm interested in, which is primarily nutrition stuff and fertility. So thank you so much for uh, watching and for reaching out with your comments and everything. Don't forget that you can email questions to me at anamberadaypodcast at gmail.com. If you look in the description here, there should be a link to that email address and I will answer your nutrition questions on the air. Whatever it is you want to know, hey, send it my way, even if you think it's a silly question, because that gives me ideas. So one thing I want to start off doing on the beginnings of my podcast in the future is talking a little bit about me and what's up with my life, because some of you are interested in it. If you're not interested in it and you just want to learn about functional nutrition stuff, then I would skip ahead probably about five minutes, because I'm about to talk about me. So I'm here, I'm downstairs, I'm in my home office slash studio, about to take my supplements when I get a break here in a minute. If you want to know what I'm taking right now, I'm taking quercetin, which is, um, there's some early studies on that, re the coronavirus, I'm taking NAC, always good, helps produce glutathione, the body's master antioxidant. Taking my BioLive, which is a uh, lipotrophic support, liver support, stuff like that. Great for people with PCOS, like moi. And calcium deglucurate, because it helps reduce excessive estrogen in the body. And that's my life. So, about to do that. Um, what have I been up to? Well, I've been at home like a lot of you. I know some of you are working harder than you've ever worked in your life, and so if that's the case for you, I am very sorry to rub it in, but I have been here at home. I'm happy to be here. I'm a little bit of a hermit uh, sometimes, so this has been a great break for me. I'm spending a lot of time with my son. He is eight and a half months old. He is a little sweetie face, so I love him. And my son, right now, he is popping his second tooth, which is one of his front teeth. So he has a bottom tooth already, and he's getting the opposite front tooth. So that would be really cute. Um, And he is learning to crawl. And um, for those of you who don't know, he's eight months, but he's six months adjusted because he was born two months early. 
So he is learning to crawl and he is learning how to say consonant sounds and he's just a ball full of energy and joy and he smiles all the time. He's in a great phase right now. He's just a really sweet, happy baby and we're like so incredibly grateful for him. In fact, um, earlier today he took a like four hour nap, which is really unusual for him, but I think it's because he's he's growing and he's um, trying to pop that tooth. And so we took a four hour nap and me and Daniel were just like sitting on the couch by the end of it, like, when's he gonna wake up? We're bored, we miss him. So we have just been hanging out here at home. I've been doing a lot of Marco poloing with some good friends of mine, which has been great. And that's a great way to stay in contact. And I'm doing a lot of video sessions with clients, lots of telehealth. So I've been able to keep up with everybody that way and um, I've been enjoying that. So I'm glad that I still get to keep that connection with my clients. I know not everybody's able to keep doing that right now, so that's a bummer, but we've been really, it's been going well. So I get a lot of questions about this topic and I thought it would be a good one to cover today. Most of the questions that I get regard particular conditions or particular hormonal imbalances. So it's super common for me to get a client or you know a question from somebody saying, hey, I've been diagnosed with this condition or I have excess testosterone or I have PCOS or I have premature ovarian failure, different things like that. And they want to know if there's anything that can be done with nutrition to fix that problem. And the answer that I always give is it's complicated because to some extent, there's a lot that nutrition can do for these conditions, but nutrition is not something that we directly say like, okay, if you eat avocado at exactly 3 p.m. when the moon is full and, you know, then your fertility will be fixed or what have you. So it's more complicated than that. And I like to explain things in a way that I have found, I've just developed over time that I feel like really simplifies the functional medicine paradigm. So in functional medicine, we're always taught to look to look at the root cause, right? And I'm a functional nutritionist, so I'm all about the root cause. It's really tempting, and I see a lot of functional practitioners doing this, and I'm guilty of this myself. It's really tempting to get lost in the weeds a little bit with different conditions and to start talking about these are herbs or these are supplements, and this is a diet protocol that, for example, can um, fix SIBO or candida or can... um, you know, taking um, curcumin can reduce inflammation in the joints and whatever. But when you start thinking about things that way, you start realizing that really what you're doing is you are attacking the symptoms of a disorder and not so much the root cause. So the root cause of inflammation or of joint pain is not inflammation itself. It's whatever's causing the inflammation to start with. So I've developed over time this um, what I what I'm calling the priority pyramid, and this is something that in almost every new consultation with people I go over, and it's basically a pyramid of 
looking at exactly what the body likes to focus on first. So the body has priorities just like you have priorities in your life. So you have to first pay your bills before you can go do fun things or go on a trip or whatever. So you have priorities. Well, your body has priorities. And at the very top of the pyramid are the sex hormones, progesterone, testosterone, estrogen, um, you know, thyroid functioning would probably fall up there as well. So different things like that. There's all these hormonal processes happening. And whenever I see imbalances there, I don't directly look and say, okay, I can put this person on Vitex and that'll help regulate their menstrual cycle. Or I can do a supplement that's going to help, um, oh, I don't know, like, um, the inositols or whatever that are going to bring their blood sugar down. Or I can put them on calcium D-glucarate to help lower their estrogen levels in their body. Those are things that I might do concurrently, but fundamentally that's not where I, I'm starting in my head. I'm going much deeper in my mind to, first of all, I want to know your history because I want to know all of the potential antecedents to this issue that's happened. I want to know the traumas that have happened to you. I want to know the stresses that were on your body. I want to know about big major times in your life. I want to know all that stuff because that's all important to you as a human being because you're multifaceted. Um, so that's a big part of it. But I'm always looking deeper. When I see hormone issues, I always look one step down on the rung. And so when we go one step down on the rung, the big major system that's controlling a lot of the movement in the hormones is the adrenal system. So the HPA axis and all that stuff. Adrenals are something that I think a lot of people are interested in now. So when we talk about adrenals, we're talking about these glands that sit on top of your kidneys and they produce a hormone called cortisol. Cortisol is like a stress hormone, but it's also an energy hormone. So the key with that one is to have it in balance. You want enough, you don't want too much, you don't want too little. And it's in a rhythm. It needs to act rhythmically throughout the day. So it's supposed to be higher in the morning, lower in the evening. That helps calm you down, get you ready for bed. The cycle starts over. Adrenal issues have become more of a buzzword now because of the term adrenal fatigue. So this is a phenomenon that can sometimes happen where essentially the adrenals just stop working all Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. together they produce like the tiniest little minuscule amount of cortisol and they don't uh it's not rhythmic anymore it's just a flat line all the time and that results in feeling extremely low energy constantly you know you could essentially just sleep all day sleep all night you're just really 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 tired and exhausted i've heard some people before talk about how they didn't think that adrenal fatigue was real, that adrenal fatigue is something that's overblown. 
I do think adrenal fatigue might be overblown a bit because certain other issues can create an adrenal fatigue situation that can then look like adrenal fatigue but really may not be that. For example, food sensitivity can cause uh, you know, severe food sensitivity and allergy if you're continuing to consume those foods. Or if you have blood sugar imbalances and you're, you know, you've got high blood sugar all the time, then that can behave a little bit like adrenal fatigue. So yes, I do think it's overblown in the sense that a lot of people think, oh, I have adrenal fatigue and really that may not be the problem, but it is real. It's a real thing. And if you are a woman who is in her 40s or 50s, you have raised children, um, your children are you know, either grown or they're in a particularly stressful uh, few years. You know, usually it's about when the kids hit like the teenage years. Can happen earlier, can happen later. But this is the woman who's more than likely to have adrenal fatigue. She's about 40 years old and she's got some kids that she's raised and she's stressed out and she's not sleeping well and she's put on some weight and then she comes into me because she's like got, you know, hypothyroidism or, or something. And we're looking at the balance of all these different things. And instead of starting up there and saying, okay, well, let's do selenium or let's do iodine, we look deeper at what potentially might be contributing. Uh, contributing factors to that, and the adrenals are, are huge for that. So the adrenals represent our stress response. So if our stress response is out of whack or we're overstressing our bodies either with biological stressors, stressors like food or with energetic stressors like exercise or with environmental stressors, um, you know, st- stressful lifestyle, things that we can't control, like maybe somebody has passed away or we're caring for somebody or what have you. But if any of those things are going on, we have to look deeper than the hormonal imbalance and look at that. You know, is this woman getting the full eight to nine hours of sleep every night that she should? I mean, most people, most women that I talk to about that and that, you know, I talk about getting enough sleep, particularly like even just eight hours. Ideally, women would get more like nine hours, guys. So I know some of you are listening to this and you're kind of laughing or smirking like there's no way. Um, And many women have that reaction when I talk about sleep. There's no way I could ever get even eight hours is a dream that will never come true. I'm not discounting that life may be so much right now that that's impossible for you. However, It is extremely important. There's no way around it. I can't make it less important because it's inconvenient. Sleep is one of the major times when our body is doing all of its reparative work, all of its restoration work. If we're not getting sleep, then, um, you know, nothing that we do is gonna, is gonna work properly. So I also have a lot of women who struggle with sleep, but then you know, they're trying to get their eight hours, they're laying down at the right time, they're, you know, they're not waking up at the crack of dawn to, you know, go exercise at boot camp at four in the morning or five in the morning, which side note, I'm going to talk about exercise in a second, but that, you know, unless you're the type of person that's naturally a very, very early riser and that type of person is extremely rare, um, you naturally would wake up on your own 
without your heart racing and beating, without an alarm at like 4 or 5 a.m., those people can work out that early. Everybody else, it's really not a good idea. And I'll talk about that more in a second. But when we're talking about sleep, you know, you're doing all the right things. You're setting the right mood for sleep. You're going to bed at the right time. You know, you're not using blue lights past 8 p.m. Or you're not drinking anything past 8 p.m. You know, you've got all the right conditions, but yet your, your mind still won't shut off. You still can't seem to get any sort of consistency with sleep. You can't stay asleep. If that's happening, we know that there's an adrenal issue, okay? Because cortisol is a rhythm that's supposed to be high in the morning and low at night. And what often happens with women is the first step in the direction of adrenal fatigue is something that we call, you know, cortisol um, uh, deregulation. So we've got cortisol um, that's high at night, low in the morning, and low during the day. So you're dragging all day long, and then right before bedtime, 10 o'clock p.m., 11 o'clock p.m., you get this quote-unquote second wind, and whoa, you're awake, and now you can't fall asleep. Or you might be the type that can fall asleep, but you struggle with staying asleep throughout the night. You wake up at 3 in the morning, your mind's racing, and that's it. You're up for the day. So that is, you know, those are sleep-related symptoms of adrenal fatigue. Um, exhaust, or not adrenal fatigue, of adrenal issues. Exhaustion is another one, but what I commonly see too is that adrenal fatigue is like the last step, right? So it's not super common for people to get that far into things before they start looking for answers. What I often see before that is just a woman who's hyper-wired, right? So you have a stressful life, you're maybe type A, you are go, 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 go all the time. I see this a lot in women with, with um, really high-powered careers, lawyer types, um, people who drive a lot for their job and go see a lot of clients, you know, nutritionists, personal trainers, people who are in with clients a lot and their their days are very full. Um, I also see it a lot in women who, um, you know, are caring for children because that's a big job too. So teachers, that's a common uh common type of person too. So it's these people that are like, go, 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 go. And they're hyper wired, right? They're just like, they're energetic, but it's like they've been, it's like they've drank too much coffee. They're almost jittery with energy. And that, um, and then they crash out, you know? So like the afternoon, for example, is a big time when a lot of these type of people kind of crash out. And then they're just like, they have to drink coffee to get through. So a good a good rule of thumb is if you're having to drink coffee to get through your day at any point in time, whether it's when you first wake up, uh, whether it's in the afternoon, whether it's all of the above, you probably have some adrenal issues. Coffee, there's nothing wrong with having some coffee, but if you're reliant on it, that's really the problem. And that's different from having a, you know, we all, if we drink coffee, we all do get a, kind of a dependence on it in the sense that if you don't have it, you'll get a headache, you, know, you won't be quite your perky self. It's okay if you need like a cup of coffee in the morning to kind of get going, but if it's the thing where you're drinking a whole pot or you need several cups or, you know, especially if you have to go back in the afternoon and get more, that's when you know something's not right with your adrenals. So we look at that stress adrenal response before we look at hormones. And on top of that, we're with adrenals, we're looking too at these environmental inputs. So we're looking at things like exercise. And I can't tell you how many times I've had to say the following stuff. 
especially with women, um, especially with my women, if any of you who are listening are personal trainers or are heavy exercisers, it's extremely common to have adrenal issues. What ends up happening is that you start to not be able to lose belly fat and that's usually why they reach out to me because they're like, hey, I'm working out like crazy, I'm doing two a days, I run and my weight is not budging, in fact, it's going up and I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I'm eating really well and I'm exercising all the time. And the answer is you're exercising too much and a lot of people don't wanna hear that. Um, because we're told that exercise is a good stress and it's important to have lots of it. And that's true to an extent. Um, but this heavy cardio stuff that we tend to do, these like classes at gyms, even weightlifting excessively, like more than a couple of days a week, um, and especially running and elliptical you know, 45 minutes, twice a day, or even once a day, it's just too much on the body. It's a stress. And one thing that you have to know about stresses on the body is that the body also has to have times of relaxation to recover from those stresses. So with weightlifting, for example, you will not put on muscle by continuously weightlifting and giving yourself no time for recovery. So, um, it's kind of the same concept with weight loss. Your body has to feel safe to let go of weight. If it doesn't feel safe, it's gonna hold on to it. And your body certainly doesn't feel safe when it's being pushed to the edge with its energy requirements. So if you're pushing through workouts, um, you know, an excessive amount, you're probably over-exercising, it's stressing your adrenals, and that is likely to raise your testosterone and uh, lower your progesterone and all kinds of other things. So that's when we look at the adrenal stuff. And there is a large group of people who, they don't have really that many deeper underlying issues. They're already healthy eaters. They've got pretty good gut health, but it's the over-exercising that's their problem. And for those people, just a few simple tweaks, rest days, you know, more than one, you know, two, three rest days. And I'm not a personal trainer, so I can't tell you exactly how to work out. But um, I've seen this in my practice. So more rest, uh, more relaxation, not waking up at the crack of dawn to go to boot camp. That kind of stuff tends to take care of the problem. However, if we see adrenal issues of any kind, I'm always wanting to look one step deeper than that. Because fundamentally, all health begins in the gut. Gut's the basis of all health. So if we see issues with the cortisol balance, even if there's a lot of environmental inputs that are creating that, I also wanna look at the gut and make sure that there's not issues there. And I'll caveat this too by saying that if there's hormonal imbalances and there's not really adrenal issues that are really noticeable, then you would skip that and go straight down to gut health because there are many different gut health things that can then affect hormonal balance. Now they are affecting your adrenals in a way, but sometimes people don't consciously realize that that's happening. So gut health is a good place to start if you don't know why your hormones are out of balance. When we look at gut health, this is a very big topic. I could go on for hours about potential signs of gut health issues. 
I won't do that to you today, but I am planning to do more podcasts specifically on gut health, and we'll talk more about this stuff as the weeks go on. So I think next week I'm going to talk about adrenals in more depth, and then the week after that I'll probably talk about gut health, just to kind of tie this whole priority pyramid thing together. Gut health. Signs that you have gut issues. Gut issues are not always digestive. So I'll start with that. You know, a lot of people think, well, I poop every day, so there's no way that I have gut issues. And um, that's just simply untrue. There are a million reasons why you could be having gut health issues but still be pooping every day. First of all, a lot of people are reliant on coffee to poop every day. Um, If that's you, that is a sign that you probably have some gut health issues too. Um... If you're reliant on anything, if you're reliant on fiber supplements, if you're reliant on caffeine, whatever it is to get your bowels moving, then there's an underlying issue that's deeper, that's a problem. Um, So, you know, the obvious gut health stuff is like, okay, if you've got diarrhea, constipation, if you have GERD or acid reflux, If you have anything in the digestive tracts that's wrong, SIBO, uh, candida, stuff like that, of course those are gut health issues, right? And you're going to know that that's a gut health problem and you need to start there. But what I think a lot of people don't realize is, you know, hey, I'm more concerned, or they'll come in and they'll say, I'm really more concerned about my hormone and my fertility than I am about, you know, the fact that I have SIBO or the fact that I have acid reflux. And they don't really, it's not interesting to, to look at fixing acid reflux because it's like, well, I don't really care about the acid reflux. It doesn't affect my life as much as the fact that I can't get pregnant or whatever. But the body is all connected. So if we see acid reflux, you know, then we know that there's a gut health issue. That gut health issue could be the reason why those hormones are unbalanced. So let's talk about some signs that you have gut issues that aren't obvious. So, um, The big ones are food sensitivity and food allergy. So if you have allergies to food, you probably have gut issues. If you have sensitivities to food, you probably have gut issues. And with sensitivities to food, you don't always notice that digestively, right? So you don't always have diarrhea when you eat dairy or whatever it may be. Food sensitivity issues over time can get so bad that the body stops processing them as digestive problems and starts processing them as inflammation problems. So that's when we start talking about leaky gut and larger particles of food getting into the bloodstream, that creating an antibody response, and then that causes inflammation in the body that then leads to other issues. So if you have any type of autoimmunity, any type of autoimmune disorder, those begin in the gut and those begin with leaky gut, which for the very vast majority of people, has a food sensitivity component. If it's not the main thing that's the issue, it's at least part of the issue. And the reason is because the majority of the stuff that you take into your body, that your that fuels your body, is through nutrition and diet. So it makes a big difference in how you feel. So autoimmunity, whether it's rheumatoid arthritis, whether it's fibromyalgia, whether it's chronic pain that's not diagnosed as an autoimmune issue, but you can't put a finger on why it's happening, joint pain, um, arthritis, eczema, skin rashes, acne, cystic acne, hormonal issues are often a sign of gut health issues. 
And then um, anxiety and depression. The gut and the brain are directly connected by the vagus nerve and they feed each other. So anxiety and depression feeds um, oftentimes IBS and IBS feeds um, anxiety and depression. That doesn't have to be IBS. It can be other types of gut health issues happening. So if there's any type of mental health um, component that, you know, is not, that has gotten worse, particularly anxiety or depression, then we want to look at chronic inflammation, which puts us back at gut health. So most modern disease is the result of chronic inflammation, right? And um, we talk about that all the time. And most people know that buzzword inflammation. It's like a low-grade chronic inflammatory state in the body. And you can have blood tests run to show that that's happening with you. Um, you know, if you're if you don't think that's going on, but you're curious. But in particular, we want to look at that inflammation as not a root cause itself, but as a symptom of the greater root cause. And the greater root cause is something's wrong with the gut. So something's happening in there where things that aren't supposed to be getting into the system are getting into the system. Well, where do we take in things? We don't take them in through you know, the skin, the skin is a barrier. Now, I mean, there's some absorption that happens with the skin. So, you know, don't, don't get all crazy. But for the most part, we don't take that much in through the skin. The majority of what we take in is through the digestive tract. So that's where we have to start. We have to look there. We have to say, okay, there must be some gut issue. What is it? Now that's where it gets more complicated. What is it? Because with a lot of people, I see multiple gut issues. So I see reflux and GERD, but I also see diarrhea or constipation, and I also see joint pain. Or I will see joint pain and arthritis and eczema, but um, no digestive complaints. Those people are generally harder to convince that it's a gut health issue because they don't consciously notice it as a gut health issue. So there's usually multiple things going on at once. Where do we start with the gut? Where's the first place to start with gut health? Since it is so broad, you know, it's like, well, that's the root cause, but what's the root cause of the root cause? That depends on the person. But I would say fundamentally for most people, the imbalance starts in the colon. Looking at the microbiome itself, which is all the bacteria that live there, the fungus, the yeast that live in the body, um, primarily that ecosystem and the lining of the gut there is where we need to start. So even with things like SIBO and candida, which are gut health issues, they are not the root cause. SIBO is just a symptom of the deeper root cause of an imbalance in the microbiome and leaky gut. So that leaves the conditions for SIBO to occur, if that makes sense. So, you know, low stomach acid, for example, can produce overgrowth type reactions, but those overgrowth type reactions aren't coming from this random problem that you have of low stomach acid. You have low stomach acid because of a deeper issue with gut health, probably related to leaky gut and the microbiome. So that's a long, long convoluted way of saying that if you have hormonal issues, you really will do yourself much more help by 
addressing those fundamental adrenal and gut health issues than you will by just taking herbs to help regulate hormones. And there are those herbs out there. There are things out there like with PCOS, for example, you know, we see a lot of focus on insulin and um, blood sugar response. And that's a huge component for PCOS. And it can't be, it can't be understated, but insulin resistance and insulin response also is contributed to by gut health. So the primary thing we can do there is look at a gut healthy diet and supplementation that's gonna help the gut function properly. Because when we look at hormone balance too, we also have to look at some of the other organ systems like the liver and the gallbladder, which also play a role and are connected to the overall health of the gut. We can't just look at, let's eat a low glycemic diet and then let's take inositol to lower our blood sugar and we're good. That's going to help, but it's not going to get down to the root. And the caveat with that is there are many conditions, PCOS is one of them, that there is no known cure for this. So, you know, I have PCOS myself. If you followed my podcast in the past, you know that although I'm a functional nutritionist and I know probably as much as a person can know about PCOS and functional nutrition, I wasn't able to get rid of my PCOS. I still have it. I still have some of the symptoms of it, and I still work on that every day. It's something that's just part of my life because there's a genetic component to it too that we haven't yet figured out how to turn that gene on and off. So you don't need to feel like a failure or like you haven't done it correctly if you're not quote-unquote healing or curing yourself that's where we get into the weeds and we get really we get really wrong in the alternative health community it's about a balance of assistance from conventional medicine and then a focus on being the healthiest person that you can and that's why it's really important to know what you have going on what's wrong and what the best way is to address bringing about optimal health for you. That's why customization is so important. You can't just eat a paleo diet and take some inositol and you know expect for much to happen. It might help, but it's certainly not going to get to the root of, you know, maybe your insulin response is so high and so weird because you have some overgrowth of bad bacteria in your gut that are contributing to insulin resistance. I mean, there's so much that could be going on in the gut that could be affecting this. And we don't know everything there is to know about the gut yet. We don't know. We're still in the early stages of learning about the microbiome and learning about leaky gut. It's only been in the last, I don't even know it. It hasn't been that long the last 20 years maybe, that leaky gut has even been recognized as a real issue. This has been something that even since ancient times, different practitioners have touted as being true or as being a problem that's happening, but it wasn't recognized by the medical system at large until not that long ago. So, and you know, that's important because that's important for research and funding So we're just getting into the good stuff now with figuring out what can we do. And and that's a little bit why it's scary right now too because you have people who don't really know what they're doing, you know, experimenting, uh, 
So experimenting with probiotics, experimenting with um, different strains and things. And um, we, you know, we don't know enough about the gut to, to really make firm conclusions about some of these things. We know enough that we can start working on it and we can get really far. But we don't know it all. That's what I'm trying to say. So, um, so focus on the gut health. Now, how do you do that for yourself? That's so, so complicated. As a nutritionist, you know, I can't give, it's not ethical for me to give individualized advice over a podcast. Of course, if you're my client and we're working together and I know your health history and the medications you're on and all that stuff, we can get a lot more specific. But most of you who listen to my podcast are not clients of mine. And so you want advice. You want ways that you can incorporate this into your life without having to pay an arm and a leg to see me one-on-one, right? I get it. Here's what you can do that will be the most effective. Number one, eat a healthy diet. That looks different for different people. But consider getting food sensitivity testing done on yourself. In my years of practice, the single most effective, important, and helpful tool that I have had is food sensitivity testing. There's all kinds of really cool functional tests that you can do these days. I've got a stool test and we've got micronutrient testing and we have white blood cell testing and we can do all kinds of different tests. But the one that I get the most value out of as a nutritionist and that my clients get the most value out of is a food sensitivity test. You know why? Because a food sensitivity test can tell you, number one, what foods your body is reacting to right now that are causing an inflammatory reaction. Number two, it can tell you if you have some leaky gut going on. Because you've got a lot of things that pop up, guess what? Those things are getting into your bloodstream. Otherwise, you wouldn't be making an antibody response to them. So you've got some leaky gut going on and you need to address that. So number one thing is eat a healthy diet according to whatever foods you're sensitive to. That's a process in and of itself, but that's a good place to start. Um, If you have a lot of sensitivities, keep in mind that if you do the work to do the gut healing portion of this, you don't have to eat like that forever. So just because you have a food sensitivity now doesn't mean you're gonna have one in six, excuse me, six months from now or a year from now. These are things that can address, that the body can address and fix. If it's an allergy, a true allergy, that's different but a food sensitivity can be fixed for for a lot of people. So look at that with diet. Um, If you can't do food sensitivity testing, keep in mind the big inflammatory foods, dairy products, and I'm talking all dairy products, including whey, which is in a lot of protein powders and bars and can be very pervasive. So I would do a search, a Google search on where, you know, hidden causes, hidden, exposures of dairy, hidden exposures of gluten, things like that, because they hide in a lot of things. Gluten, for example, an inflammatory food for most people, it um, can hide in things like soy sauce. Soy is another food that some people have an inflammatory response to. I have not seen that to be as big of an issue 
as I think it's made out to be in the health world, soy products. Um, you know, so take that one with a grain of salt. Corn is another one that is hit or miss with people. Some people really don't react well to it, particularly if they have a gluten sensitivity. And then some people do great with corn. I think a lot of it depends on genetics for that one. Um, legumes, same, same deal. Some people do great with legumes. Some people do awful with them. If you have poor gut health, it's probably a good idea to avoid them for a while because they are harder to digest. So, um, let's see, those are the big foods. Eggs is one that people don't often think about, but might be useful to cut out of your diet for a time and just see if it makes a difference for you. Um, with any of these food sensitivities, if you're going to do a true elimination, you have to be really careful. You have to be really cautious because even just an exposure, a tiny little exposure can set you back. Um, so you have to be really cautious and that's why it's best done with the help of a professional. But if you're doing it on your own, just be really, really careful. Um, if you're cutting things out, so that's first, healthy diet, you know, avoid sugar, avoid artificial sweeteners. And then take some things, some supplements and things that are helpful for gut healing. So a good quality probiotic is important. You know, there's... A brand that I really like, Microbiome Labs. You can't get them on Amazon or whatever, so they're a little harder to find. You have to order them through a practitioner. But I like that brand for they have a gut restoration protocol that works really well. So, but some kind of good quality probiotic, um, something that's shelf stable would be ideal. And there are some great brands out there that you can look into. Um, look at stuff that's, that um, is higher quality than what you would find at the grocery store, okay? So a good probiotic, that's a good place to start. And then from there, um, work on eating prebiotic foods, you know, um, resistant starch, all that kind of stuff to help build those colonies of good bacteria. Possibly there might be some herbs that might be necessary to kind of help reduce overgrowth and things like that. But the biggest piece of advice I could give you is get the help of somebody who knows what they're doing. That's huge, you know, because they can cut through a lot of the mess for you. So healthy diet, good probiotic, that's a great place to start with gut health. I think you'll see a lot of improvements from just those two things. And then after a month or so, you can kind of see what's left over, what issues are still happening, and then you'll know that you maybe need to move forward, you need more specialized help, or it seems like you're still making improvements so you can move on from there. And look at your stresses and your environmental stresses. So look at your exercise, look at um, things like that, and cut back on those things that are overstressing your body. So those are my... Those are my general tips for um, gut health. The point of this podcast was just to get you thinking about hormonal balance in a different way. We love to think about it as a balancing act between estrogen and progesterone, but it's so, so much more complicated than that. And um, in order to make any real improvement, we have to look deeper in the body at other issues. So in the future here, I'm going to 
upload some more videos and podcasts on adrenal health and gut health and we'll talk more about this stuff over the coming weeks but if you have any questions for the podcast please email an amberadaypodcast at gmail.com please reach out to me and let me know what you would like me to talk about what would be interesting for you and uh, thank you for continuing to listen to me don't forget to leave me a nice review that helps and um yeah all right well i'm gonna get going but i hope everybody has a good week i'll talk to you soon bye If you learned something today or you enjoyed today's episode or both, I'd love it if you would leave me an iTunes review and share this with a friend. If this brought up a question for you that you would like to hear me answer, there is a Google form that you can use to ask me any question you want, and I might answer it here on the podcast. I do it all the time, and I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.